we're so honored that you're here today. Remain standing with me. If you're able in body, stand with me as we read the word of the Lord together. You can look at it on the screen. Thank you so much for being here this morning on this Christmas service. Merry Christmas to all of you. And we're praying that this rest of the year, the, the short time we have of 2019, God ends it on a high note. And you get into 2020 with a year of favor and a year of double portion of blessing and really a year of yes, where God says yes to your hopes, yes to your dreams, yes to the things you want to accomplish and gives you the desires of your heart. And again, we're so honored you're here today. I'm going to read out of the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21. And this is what it says. It says, and you shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name. You should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I want to speak to you this morning on the importance of possibilities and the wonder of possibilities. That God would give you a wondrous heart where you would believe for the supernatural, for the things that seem impossible, because God says all things are possible to them that believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you that every word that Joey says, it falls to the ground. And every word that comes forth from you, it changes our lives forever. Lord, protect that word and let it accomplish exactly what it needs to do. Thank you for no distractions. Thank you, Lord, for attentive hearts that are watching and in this congregation today. And let our hearts be receptive to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're good looking. You really are even in the Christmas season. No matter what you're wearing, go ahead and be seated. Wasn't the worship team good looking? Man, they had all their nice vest on. Pat has hair. Look at Pat, all showing off his hair, like Jennifer showing off her hair. You know, that was meant for me, but there was nothing to weave on there. So they, they can't weave what there's nothing to add to. So you know what? I'm just going to be bald and own it. I'm going to own it. Until I get to heaven, and then I'm going to have a beautiful head of hair. So I think there's something so important about Christmas time. Because Christmas means many things to many people, but, but Christmas is upon us. And, but for many Americans, Christmas is a time where Santa Claus comes down the chimney and your savings goes down the drain. It reminds me of a story of a little girl who went to the mall to sit on Santa's lap. And so she was sitting on the, waiting to get in line there. And she's waiting all the kids and they're getting on Santa's lap, telling Santa what they want for Christmas. So finally the time came for the girl to get on Santa's lap and she asked Santa a question. She said, Santa, are you a politician? And Santa was kind of stunned by her question. He says, why do you ask? And the little girl said, because you're always promising more than you deliver. But Christmas means many things to many people. But for us who are in this room today, really this season is a time of possibilities. It's a time where God does something and he shows us the greatest gift of all, the gift of his son, Jesus. The light of life is a reflection of the Lord's gym and going after those students that are somewhere here today with their families. But these represent the gifts that are unwarranted, undeserved in many cases, but are given because the showing of God's love that God gave his greatest gift. Now think about that for a moment because for Christmas time, it's productions and parties and, and there are programs and presents, but really this time of the year is really to make us aware of spiritual warfare. The Bible says, for this cause came Christ into the world to destroy the works of Satan. In the book of Job, we hear this amazing passage of where God is literally asking Satan to come up to the throne room. 
And he asks Satan a question. Where have you been? And Satan says, I've been to and fro on this earth. What he's saying, in effect, he says, I have been on the earth gathering information against God's people. I'm gathering their strengths and I'm looking at their weaknesses because I'm going to bring accusations to God's people. And this is what Bethlehem and this time of year is all about. God's invasion on the planet through the womb of the virgin in Bethlehem's manger. It's God, Emmanuel, with us. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's been said, and I'll repeat it, Christ did not come to this earth because he needed us. He came to this earth because we desperately needed us. Needed him. That's why the scriptures tell him, they tell us that he is the bright and the morning star, that he is the fairest of today, that he is our savior, deliverer, and our baptizer, and there's none like unto him. Because this is really a time of redemption. That's what Christmas is all about. It's a story of redemption. The angel said to Mary on that first Christmas morning, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Let's say that word together Jesus. They shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus didn't come to the earth just to install Santa Claus. He came to this earth to take Satan on and show that Satan is defeated, to give you and I life and to give it to us more abundantly. That's why... I get a trip out of this time of year when people go goo-goo and gaga over a baby in the manger. They get all emotional. Away in the manger. I can't sing it. But on Christmas Eve, you'll sing it. We'll light the candles and we'll have a great time. But they sing away in the manger. Tears in their eyes. The little baby in Bethlehem's manger. But friends, that baby has grown up. And now he sits by the right hand of God the Father with power and glory. The first time he came wasn't at the baby in the manger, but the next time he comes, he's coming as Messiah. The first time he came, he was the lamb led to the slaughter, but the next time he comes, he's coming as the lion from the tribe of Judah. The first time he came, they dragged him before Pilate like a lamb going to the slaughterhouse, but the next time he comes, every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm looking at that wonderful day because God has invaded this earth to give you and I hope. I think that's so important because people in this day and age, they need hope. They really do. But every time you get around this year, there are always people, they start talking about Jesus in, in different ways and not necessarily good ways. And they start saying like, well, he's a, you know, Jesus, yeah, he's here and he's a good teacher. Can I just tell you, he is either who he said he is, the Lord, or he is a liar. Jesus is either who he said he is, the Lord of glory, or he is the greatest charlatan to ever walk across the stage of human history. Every time you hear this time of year, people start getting intellectual and you watch programs and they start turning up their agnostic intellectual nose and they start saying like, well, he, is, he was good and he, he was a good example. You know, I've, I've done this for a lot of years now and I, uh, I, I never was raised in church, but I don't debate God. I declare him and I never debate anybody. Some of you are debaters and you've got a gift to draw out your long debates on politics and religion. I don't do that. I don't debate God. I declare. And recently I was talking to a Muslim man and him and I, you know, and I'm a very friendly, nice looking person. I'm supposed to say amen to that, but it's cool. But I, you know, I'm friendly. So I'm talking to him and he's a Muslim. He's a devout Muslim. So I'm talking to this man and I say, well, your religion, you know, you have certain rules and regulations. He says, yes. And he says, well, what's your religion? I said, well, I don't have a religion. I have a relationship with Jesus. And I began to tell him because a man with an argument is no mercy for a man with an experience. 
So I started to declare that I was a two-time convicted felon before I was 18. I was kicked out of junior high, went into continuation school. Six months, I dropped out. I'm 22 years old. I'm, I'm a weightlifter, and I, I've, I've made a mess of my life. I live on Dead End Street. My house address is zero. And I said, I got invited to have an encounter with Jesus. You should have seen this Muslim man's eyes are as big as saucers. And I said, Jesus changed my life. And then I said, after Jesus changed my life, I called my mom and daddy and I said, come to church. Jesus has changed me. And I said, sir, the next Sunday, my mom and dad went and Jesus changed their life. And he looked at me and he says, that's really good. Wow. He says, well, in our religion, the Muslim religion, Jesus was a prophet. And I knew about that Muslim religion that they know that prophets don't lie. So I said, that's great. Your religion does teach that prophets are. And I said, do prophets lie? He said, oh, no, Joey, in our religion, prophets don't lie. I said, that's great because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Do prophets lie? That was the end of our conversation, but you get my point. This time of year, people start saying, well, he's a good example. Jesus is a good example. Not a good example. Good examples don't mingle with prostitutes and sinners. Some say he's a crazed fanatic, but fanatics do not attract men of intellect like Luke the physician or the Apostle Paul, one of the most brilliant men of his era. Some say he's a religious phony, but phonies do not rise again on the third day just like they said they would. Some say that Jesus is just a myth, but myths do not give their flesh and blood to be crucified. To the weary, Jesus is wonderful. To the confused, Jesus is the counselor. To the weak, Jesus is mighty. To the orphan, he's the everlasting father. To the troubled, he's the prince of peace. He's altogether lovely. He's altogether worthy. He's the answer for your life today, tomorrow, and a thousand years from now. It's nobody but Jesus. You see... Because his knowledge transcends Harvard or Yale or any other theological base that tries to belittle his sovereignty and his virgin birth. He was, he is, he always will be the son of the living God. That's Jesus. And that's important because this Christmas story is really found in impossibilities becoming realities. For with God, Luke 137 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. You know, with you, there are a lot of things that are impossible. Some people can't drive and chew gum, can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Some people can't do things well. Some people can't, I, you know, I got white man syndrome. I can't dance. I'm like one millisecond out of rhythm. I mean, if you catch me like on the fast forward, I'm really in step. But if you see me in real time, I'm like a step out of rhythm. I got no rhythm. I mean, I could pop. I mean, I can bust a move. You know, I've been winning contests when I was in elementary school. I'm from Oak Park, Sacramento. I, I, I would Oak Park on you, but that's another message. <laughs> like, he's crazy. Yeah, I'm a nut screwed on the right bolt. That's me. But I don't do things very well. And, and, and there are certain things for me that's it's impossible. I'm never going to be a, a, an NBA all-star. You know, I can't dribble and run. I, I, can't, I, I, don't even, I can't even play pig. You will beat me in the game of pig real bad. And I'll cheat and you'll still beat me. There's not a lot of things I can do well. I have trouble raising my three children, my wife and my two daughters. I have trouble. There are not a lot of things I can do well. But God says, with me, 
nothing is impossible. So think about your limitations. Think about what you're lacking. Think about what you can't make happen in the real time. Think about the things you can't accomplish with your dreams, with your business, with your family, with your children, are wanting to have children. And think about what God says is possible. Your inadequacy, your inability says God can, be, make, it, God can make it possible. So everything you're lacking, everything you do not have enough of, God says, I have it. If, if, you, if you can believe it, you can receive it, and I'll give it to you. Nothing's impossible. Not in your troubled marriage today, nothing's impossible with God. Not with your divided family, nothing's impossible with God. Not with your rebellious children, nothing's impossible with God. Not with your fears about the future, nothing's impossible with God. Are you facing a mountain? Ask God to move it. If he doesn't move him, give you the ability to climb it. Get your hiking boots on. God will give you the ability to prevail anything that comes against you. That's why he's such a wonderful savior, because they said he calls his name Jesus and he'll save you from your mistakes, your sins, your imperfections. Jesus died for sin, but I have to die to it. I have to die to my imperfections of what I can't accomplish. And I got to believe all things are possible because of him. And because of him who strengthens me, I can do all things. That's why today I tell you with great assurance, his name is a blessed name. His name is a saving name. His name is a powerful name. His name is a comforting name. His name is an eternal name. It's the name of the Lord Jesus. He is the son of the living God. He is the light of the world, the lion of Judah, the lamb of God. He's the one that takes away our sins. Do you know when the smallest child kneels down and mentions the majestic name of Jesus, every demon in hell trembles with terror. When that name, Jesus, is mentioned over the diseased lips of the suffering, disease stops. Pain begins to wash away. Healing begins because Christ is still the great physician. When that name is mentioned in prayer, angels will come from the balconies of heaven and they will come to your aid and bring you the answer every single time. Mention that name and the Holy Spirit will descend with wind and fire of Pentecost. And when they had prayed, the book of Acts says, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. I say, do it again. The Bible says in the Old Testament writings out of Isaiah, his name, his name shall be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. That's why he's our savior. If you will allow him to be, he'll be the God of the impossible. He'll be the God that makes the impossible's reality. He's the God that becomes your friend more than just a religion, more than just a savior. He becomes your comforter. He becomes the light of the world in your life and in others' life. He becomes the one who would refresh you if you would dare hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he is the one, whether you like it or not, whether you're ready or not, he's coming back to this earth with power and glory. For every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I said all that to say, oh, my calves are too big. Let me pull my pants down. Got monster calves, Rick. Sorry. Let me see. No, not a peep show. But there's something about titles. You know, people want to be acknowledged for what they do. And especially in this world we live in, you know, people, people want titles. All sounding, all high sounding titles are really given to people to gratify something within them. Now think about that because God has given you and I a title called friend. He's given us a title called a son, a daughter. But many times we can't rationalize that in the natural. So we look at people's 
lives and we, we look at titles that give people on this earth, titles that men give people, women give people. Think about all high-sounding titles. They're really given to gratify ego and vanity. It's true. Alexander the Great is a high-sounding title for a man who, would, who was a warrior, but he couldn't conquer himself. He died at the age of 33 with a dreaded disease. He had a great name, but he had a wretched life. Herod the Great. How would you like to be called Herod the Great? I've told my girls at the house, call me Joey the Great. They don't even call me for dinner. They're like, we already ate. What you eating? I'm like, what's up with that? And then I got to beg Jennifer to cook me a TV dinner. And she doesn't even get me the hungry man. I know it's sad. It's really sad. It's all about her hair. Mess up my weave. No, I'm sorry. It's not a weave. It's extensions. It's the more sophisticated way of saying weave. But really, these names are given. How about your name being Herod the Great? Alexander the Great. How about Herod the Great? He had a lofty title, didn't he? Herod the Great. But a man that was a monster. He murdered nine out of ten of his wives on the mere suspicion that they were unfaithful. He was paranoid to the fullest degree. He demanded that his only son be killed on the day that he died so Israel would have a reason to mourn. He had a lofty title, but he was a cold-blooded murderer. He was a moral monster. And today he screams for mercy in the abyss in a place called hell. But friends, I'm telling you something today. There's one man who walked across the stage of human history whose greatness is greater than any mortal mind could tell. And he's greater than any human being can conceive. He's called in scripture, the great I am. That means whatever you have need of, God can do it. To him, there's nothing to it. He's called the great physician. He's called the great shepherd, the leader and the defender of his sheep. There was never another in human history that was born a child out of a born a child, a, a living God from the womb of a virgin. But Jesus never in human history was there a man wounded by Satan, but crushed Satan. But Jesus, never in human history was there one who was the savior of men, but was crucified by men. Help me say it. But Jesus, never in human history was there a man who was dead and buried and rose again on the third day, just like he said he would. Come on, help me out. But Jesus, there's no other like Jesus. Can I get a witness this morning? I've been to Israel many times, and this year I took our congregation. Many people went to Israel with, with uh, the church, and we went to the tomb of Rachel. Her bones are buried there. We went to the tomb of Abraham, the patriarch, the father of our faith. His bones were bare. We went to the tomb of King David, and his bones are there if you dug them up. But we went to another tomb. This tomb was an empty tomb. This tomb had blocks and blocks of blocks of people lined up to walk into a tomb and see nothing in the tomb because that tomb is empty because he's gone. He's risen. He sits by the right hand of God the Father, glorified and exonerated above all. That's why we honor his name. Do you know that heaven has different words than we use on this earth? It's important to know that because he's the creator of all. But, he, but we don't use heavenly language many times. It's important to know that. Because in heaven, God was called something. But on earth, they called him something. 
Now, I want you to follow me for a moment and lean into what I'm going to share with you because I believe this is really, really important. In heaven, he is called incarnate wisdom, but on earth, he's called a fool. In heaven, he's called the king of glory, but on earth, he wore the crown of thorns. In heaven, he's called the living truth, but on earth, he was called a liar and a heretic. In heaven, he's called the son of God. Remember, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's called in heaven the son of God, but on earth, he was called the devil who did the power of his miracles by Beelzebub, worker of Satan. In heaven, he's called king, but on earth, he was crucified and hung with criminals. In heaven, he speaks with authority. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, the word was God. The word was with God. And the word dwelled among us out of John. The book of John tells us, but also in the book of Genesis, God created something out of nothing. And he took substance that was already there and created the beautiful earth, which you and I know. What's the point? God makes stars come into existence by the spoken word. God creates orbits and solar systems out of a spoken word. So in heaven, he has all authority of what he says. But on earth, he's led to a lamb like slaughter and he opens not his mouth to defend himself. What's the point? Some of Christians today, they don't realize that God says you and I need to speak kingdom words over our home, over our family, not worldly words, because Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it what? Is in heaven. He's already established that he is the king of all kings. He's already established that he's above all, that he can do it all. He's already established. So why don't you take this gift today that's been established of all authority, all knowledge, all power, all healing, and take it and receive it. You have to take the gift and receive it. You can talk worldly language. This is that. This is nothing. This is just church. This is just religion. This is just what other people believe. Or you can take it and say, no, this is what heaven says. This is what heaven says. He speaks with authority. But yet on his day of his execution, he opened not his mouth to defend himself. There's never another in human history that poured all the rivers and all the oceans and all the streams. They were poured from the crystal chalice of creation's morning. But yet on the day of his execution at Calvary, he says, I thirst. You know why he thirst? Not because he was the God of the natural but he was looking for a family. And he says, I'm going without so they can have within. I'm going without because I want them to receive the gift, the water that I'll give. They'll never thirst again. The meat that I give them, it will be meat for men. It will be milk for children. It'll be the word of the living God that cuts going in and it cuts going out. God says, what I have for you is eternal. It is eternal. But you have to receive that. Now, I say that because to us today who are believers, his name is precious. First Peter 2 and 7, unto those who believe, he is precious. Unto who? Those who believe. Do you know Jesus is not precious to unbelievers? He's a nuisance to some. He's an aggravation to others. To a secular humanist, that's a man or a woman who believes in no absolutes. Somebody who has no absolutes, everything is relative per their truth. So if they think it's truth, hey, that's their truth. Because there's no absolutes. Their opinion is as good as God's opinion. Some of you believe that, that your opinion supersedes God's opinion. But God is not determined what truth is by your little lack of understanding. 
Truth is not what I say it is. Truth is not what I think it is. Truth is what the Word of God says it is. And Jesus said something interesting. Because on that precious faith, Jesus talked about this area of truth. Remember when Peter, Peter was watery, he was wavy. In other words, Peter's very name, Simon, was wavy, unstable. He was, he was so erratic with his behavior. He was so unsettling. It's why he fished on the sea. It was like his personality. And Jesus said, upon your confession, Peter, of who I am, the rock, I'm going to build my church. Many people say, yeah, because Peter, it was Peter's confession. No, it was Peter's truth that he heard from God. Peter was wavering. He was, he was waffling. Peter only saw in the natural. As a matter of fact, Peter, when he, when he wanted to deny the Lord, some of you remember the story, when he wanted to deny the Lord, what did he do? He cursed. He wanted to show he was an unbeliever by cursing. That's why some of you who call yourself a believer, watch your tongue. Watch what you're saying. The very fact you're cursing is the very fact you're showing that you're an unbeliever. And that's important. It's like the man who came to me recently and he, he comes up and he starts cussing. And he, oh, I'm a Christian, but I can't control my tongue. And I'm saying, you're not a Christian then, man. Control your tongue or get out of here. In other words, you can't say I'm oil and I'm water. Or I'm this or I'm that. You either make the decision or you don't. But what I'm telling you, when you make the decision to make Jesus a priority, he'll help you with that tongue. He'll give you the strength to overcome that addiction. He'll give you the strength to adopt you as your very own. What's my point? My point is you don't have to be wavering. You don't have to be have one foot in and one foot out. Jesus said, upon the rock, your confession, Peter, not you, Peter, but your confession of who I am, I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's precious for what he's done. At Calvary, he conquered powers and principalities. And when he shouted from Golgotha, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What was finished? Your separation. It's now finished. And he descended into the bowels of this earth as recorded in Ephesians 4.8. And he introduced himself to demon forces there. And I can see in the theater of my mind Jesus coming to that place of hell with all those captives who have, who have been under that law, under that, under, that, under that absolute devastation. And he goes with the keys. Remember, Satan had them. Satan had geographical dominion on the earth. Satan held the keys. Remember when he told Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. He had those kingdoms to give. That's why when Jesus invaded the earth through the womb of the virgin, it was God's invasion, Emmanuel, invading the planet earth to get back those keys. And so I can see him going into the bowels of this earth, and now he's got the keys. Satan doesn't have the keys, God's got them. And he says, now I'm giving the keys to my sons and I'm giving the keys to my daughters. And anytime they come and say in the authority of Jesus name, remember that name that's above every name. Turn my son loose, turn my daughter loose, turn my grandchildren loose. You turn them loose because I'm the Lord of heaven and earth and all that is beneath it. That's why friends, his name is a saving name. Again, the angel that told Mary, thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. What does it mean to be saved? It doesn't mean that you've joined the church, as good as that is. It doesn't mean you're baptized in water, as great as that is. You should be baptized if you're a believer. Next step, get baptized. It's not because you give gifts to the poor. What does it mean to be saved? It's you publicly confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Jesus said it this way, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. 
If you're ashamed to confess me in front of man, I'll be ashamed to confess you in front of my father. You say, well, is salvation for everyone? Absolutely. Salvation is for everyone. Jesus said it this way. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn it, to put rules and regulations and what you can't do. God sent his son in the world so you can have a life without limits. His son didn't come into the world to condemn it, but through it, we can be saved. So what does it mean to be saved? It means that you've accepted the Lord in all your missteps and all your imperfections. You just accept the Lord. The Bible says he shall save. That means from the guttermost to the uttermost. God does not consult your past to determine your future. Some of you are in this room today and watching and you're saying, Joey, I've made too many mistakes for the Lord to forgive me. Joey, I wasn't raised like you. I'm glad you weren't raised like me in homelessness. I wasn't raised in church. Some of you are blessed to be raised in church. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised in dysfunction in chaos and violence. You say, well, Joey, I've made too many mistakes. I'd be qualifying for that if I believe that lie. I'd believe that worldly lie. I'd say the same thing as you. I made too many mistakes for the Lord to forgive me. But I realize today what I'm telling you, I'm telling myself, that's Satan's lie. That's a demonic lie. The Bible says he shall save. It's a statement of prophecy, but yet passion. Prophecy because it guarantees salvation. When God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, he doesn't go around with an eraser trying to wipe it out as soon as you make a mistake. It's there and it's there eternally. And so you're saying, well, I made too many mistakes to forgive me, for the Lord to forgive me. That's Satan's lie. It's a statement of prophecy and passion. It guarantees salvation. Satan's objective, rob, kill, destroy. Take all your hopes, all your dreams, all your aspirations, everything you set out to do that's good and wipe them out. But the Bible says he'll save. Isaiah 45, 22 says, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth are not people geographically removed from God. It's referring to people like you and I that are spiritually removed from God at times. Look unto me and be saved. That means the person who made a mess of their life. That means the person that's here that maybe have made some bad choices and got hooked on drugs or alcohol or pornography. The person here that maybe got involved in gangs and has an affiliation with that. Or the person here has made mistakes and done things they're not proud of. Look unto me and be saved. It means from the down and out to the up and out. It means from the prostitute caught in the act of adultery to the, to the CEO, the high roller, they needed just as much salvation as the one who's at their lowest. And I tell you that to say, God doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what background you come from. He says, my name is above every name. And my name is a strong tower. And you and I can run into it and find safety. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous can run into it and find safety strength. All you need to do today, when you get into the calamities of life, you get into that strong tower and say, God, I don't understand it. I can't make it happen. But I'll believe that you're the God of the impossible, that you make impossibilities become a reality. And I'll believe you at your word. And so I put my life in your hands and I trust you and I give my life to you. And I believe that you will do all things for me if I ask you. You received this word today? I know that you do. Can we stand together all over the building?
As we stand together, if nobody leaving, please, unless you have to catch an airplane or you got some issues going on that I can't pray with you to deliver you from. But I want you today, as you're standing to your feet, if you would be so kind to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to share something with you in the next few moments we have together. And I want you to think about every enemy, every enemy that you have. If we're honest and you think about it, every enemy that you have has a name. Every enemy that you have has a name. Fear is a name. Depression is a name. Insecurity is a name. Fatherlessness, there's a name there. Disease, no matter what that disease is, there's a name. Every enemy that you're facing today has a name. And if you're thinking about it right now, the enemy has brought that name to your understanding. The name of debt, the name of dysfunction, the name of insecurity, the name of addiction. The enemy has formed a weapon against you. Where have you been, Satan? I've been to and fro on this earth. I've been building up a case against them of their strengths and their weaknesses, and I know exactly what to bring accusation against them with. And that thing that's been accusation against you has a name. So I'm telling you today what the enemy has meant for destruction, God is going to use it for construction. And it's time that you realize that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And you and I can run into it and find safety because every enemy has a name.